1: Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It is July 28th, 2019. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost We are actually one hour and 20 minutes into our podcast, but Steelers Nation would not know that because that has been an hour and 20 minutes that we'll never get back of technical difficulties, and we are finally in. Nick made a great suggestion. Uh, It is 45 minutes prior to the time I normally allow myself an afternoon beverage, but we have broken that taboo, and I am now enjoying an all-day IPA from Founders Brewery. It's a nice little session ale since it's so early in the afternoon for me.
2: And as I am enjoying this uh, small, and if by small I mean large, glass of the famous Woodford Reserve uh, bourbon here. They don't sponsor us yet, but I assume that they will soon. I mean, these are the moments that we talk about, you know, behind the scenes. We don't want any credit for them. We don't need to have people know that we're troubleshooting for this long. Or, or maybe we do. And now you, and now you do know. This is the things that we got to do, and it's not just for you guys. It's mainly for you guys because we know we need to get the, the information out there to Steelers Nation, but it's also for us because we need to get this information out of our head. We need to talk about it. There's a, this is one of the most exciting weeks of the whole year. Training camp has started. There have already been a few practices. There's actually another practice going on as we speak, so there's a ton to talk about, and I, for one, could not be more excited. There's some guys on the ground, you know, some famous – uh, well-known, well-respected Steelers bloggers like Tony Serino and Alex Cazorra reporting on the ground, Marco Caballi, different guys like that. So we're getting um, some nice insight into what's happening at practice, some play-by-plays and stuff like that. So we'll break down a little bit of that as well. And uh, yeah, we got plenty to talk about.
1: So on the first day of padded practice, the offense finally wins seven on um, seven shots. They've lost the last two days. Am uh, um, I getting too too far ahead for you? This is right Listen, off the was, press. Like, we can
2: start We can start with today, or why don't we – since we haven't been able to podcast since they started the camp, I figured we'd just start um, with people descending upon camp and kind of start at the beginning here with uh, the opening of training camp and move our way up to today. But you're right. I think
1: – yeah, yeah. I think if you are looking for um, pop and circumstance, you would have been disappointed. But if you were a Steelers fan, you have been ecstatic to know – the low-key entrance the, the, the players made this last week.
2: Yeah, there, and sorry, guys, one more little disclaimer. Since we are working with so many difficulties here internet-wise, we're using hotspots to set up multiple devices just to get this recording platform working. We might have some lag in here, here and there, but uh, just bear with us. Uh, it's still pirate radio a bit right now while we get this um, new system situated. But you're right, no pomp and circumstance. It really The Steelers are making a point of of trying to use the departure of Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, they're trying to use that as a springboard into positivity because, of course, you lose major players like that, it's going to be a big deal, but they are creating a narrative from the team from the very beginning of the year, and they are basically saying, we are here to work. And so there were no helicopters landing on the practice field, there were no fire trucks pulling up, Uh, to the facility this year. Eli Rogers did come in on, like, a big rig. He came on, like, an 18-wheeler, or at least not with the actual uh, car behind it, but uh, on the vehicle at the front. And uh, he had a hard hat and a dumbbell. That's very Steelers-like, though. I think that's appropriate. But other than that, no crazy entrances. Getting down to work.
1: I think Eli was carrying a 75-pound curl bar. I I just don't think he read the memo. I mean, I I just... (laughs) You've ever heard yeah. of him in, in, in an interview?
2: Current,
1: yeah, so yeah, I think dude, that was We, the were, on the we weren't doing out.
2: entrances this year. Eli, <laughs> get over here. The curl bar weighs half as much as he does. Well, here's the big shock, though. And, and this, this tells you a lot. And this is really a sign of leadership. But Juju, you know, the darling, the king of Pittsburgh, formerly the prince of Pittsburgh, right now the king of Pittsburgh after this offseason, all the A.B. stuff, he's snuck in through the side door. Uh, He didn't get any media taking pictures of him or videos. He wanted to avoid them uh, so he could get in in a nondescript way. And I think think he knew what he was doing a little bit because the media interviewed him, you know, once they got out to the first practice and asked him about his low-key entrance. Because you'd figure, I mean, if you listed four or five players in the whole NFL who are likely to make a big entrance, it's definitely the king of social media, right? Juju, but... He, when the media asked him about the fact that he made such a low-key entrance, he basically said, you know, guys are making these high-profile entrances to training camp all over the league. I'm not really into that. That's not for me. I'm here to work. I'm here to work. He kept repeating that. And I have a couple thoughts about this, and let me know what you think. Number one, I think that it's good leadership. He really is setting a tone. He knows that a lot, a ton of responsibility is falling in on his shoulders this year because you get a lot of responsibility placed on you when you become the number one offensive option for any team. But especially when you re- when you replace somebody who, who you could call, you know, the best offensive player in the history of the franchise and one of the best offensive players in the history of the NFL. You know, he's stepping into Brown's shoes there. So he is hitting the ground running, setting the tone as a leader for the team like that. But also I think that this is another continuation of like the summer of Juju and – him, I don't want to say like profiting off of AB's, you know, missteps against Steelers Nation, but he knows what he's talking about. When he makes the reference about people making big entrances into camps, we know that Brown used a hot air balloon to get to Oakland's camp this week. We know about all those other big entrances with the helicopter and everything like that. He is definitely referencing AB and using the, this is we're ready. We're here to work. This is a team mentality. He's using that to kind of almost capitalize. I feel like off of the anger that we all have towards Brown and, and kind of Juju is going to represent the opposite of what, of what Brown has uh, represented and be more of like the Heinz war type rather than the flashy type. Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you think it's that planned out or?
1: Yeah, it sounds like, Juju's using A.B. as the moon and Juju's a, a satellite flipping himself around to fling himself out into the universe. But I, I don't know if um, I, you know what I'm more worried about. and I'm looking up his contract right now. I'm worried about him setting himself as such a fan favorite. There'll be an outcry if Juju doesn't become the highest paid wide receiver when his contract's up.
2: It's funny that we're talking about this now, and I think some people might get mad at us for talking about this, but I 100% agree with you. you got to see the writing on the wall before it happens. And maybe, just maybe, we'll see the Steelers buck their trend of not signing players into the last year of their deal. Maybe they've learned from the Bell and the Brown situations, and maybe they'll sign Juju a little bit early. Now, that doesn't even guarantee anything anyways, because obviously they signed Antonio Brown, and he made if th- he basically threw a fit and, and got himself out of town but that's pretty rare to be able to have that type of leverage that ab had and, and juju doesn't totally seem like the kind of guy he would do that but maybe it would be wise for them if he has a great year this year sign him early sign him a year early. i
1: agree and i'm looking at his contract right now four years four million dollars and he signed through 2020 and it is in a we probably talked about this before it's in a Unreal amount of what what kind of deal the Steelers are getting from Juju. They they really are going to have to step yeah. up to make this guy whole after what he's shown through two seasons at least, and what we anticipate to be an unbelievable third. Now that he's number one wide receiver, but I ho- yeah. I hope this so, isn't uh, a, I hope this isn't a conflict. And why hold to that kind of tradition? They did uh, they did help out AB. I, I think they needed this. I don't know what they need to do but i hope they dispense with any uh what kind of tradition that they wait to the end of the contract and let's lock him right. up well, they've lock shown, him up
2: they've shown that they've shown the ability to progress remember when we talked about them making the trades for joe hayden and Vance mcdonald and like that's the thing that the steelers never do they never make trades so i think that they've shown the ability to maybe slowly but slowly but surely uh, be open to modernizing and stuff like that. So that's just one instance that could be interesting to look at especially compared to what <laughs> we all just went through with the Antonio Brown and Bell things. But you're right, Juju's obviously got a big future and apparently according to word on the ground like the Alex Cazoras and the Tony Serinos and Marco Cabali and everybody else who's on the ground over there who I'm you know, pretty jealous of at this moment. I can't can't lie to you, but I'm glad we got good men on the ground over there feeding us some good information. But uh, according to everybody, uh, they're in the middle of the third practice right now, the first pad of practice. Juju scored on the first play of seven shots, which he has done every single day so far. But apparently Juju has been dominating. And I think, let's see, who put that up? I think it was Alex Cazorio who put up like his statistics from the first you know, two days of practice, and obviously we're we're just barely getting into practice. There were no pads. You're not going to, you know, make any sweeping conclusions from this, but it was like nine catches for 140 yards and two touchdowns, and he had burned, you know, both Joe Hayden, and I think either Artie Burns or Stephen Nelson for long touchdowns. So it looks like the chemistry has picked up right where it left off with Ben Roethlisberger, and he's already setting a tone early in these training camp practices, and you like to see that. That is significant to me.
1: Yeah, it feels like this has been very intentional. And I wonder how the how the communication went. You expect Marquise Pouncey and Ramon Foster to be cool and tempered, but the fact that Ben came into eight OTAs, that was a that was a big deal. He's he's really kept his powder dry and um kind of a very moderate uh, I don't know, sort of projection of what training camp's gonna be. Anyway, it's very it, – uh, I wish I had uh, my vocabulary today. I'm going to find that as soon as you start talking. But it does seem like all the players are on the same page. Very encouraging. And, as you, and what we were looking at yesterday and today from these guys who were tweeting from training camp, guys are m- – many guys are staying after practice to do sprints. Many guys – everybody was there early today for, for training camp before training camp opened.
2: Yeah, it's a good start. Let's see if they can keep it up. You know, once uh, once the going gets tough and once some of this um, new excitement about the year wears off, can they keep it going? I think that they can because they are veteran enough where they've been there and they've done that. Um, one quick note, one quick aside. I just have to make sure people know this, and obviously I'm preaching to the choir here, but you mentioned Ben um, not making any waves right now. Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner's brutal, dude. I mean... To, if you ask me, Kurt Warner, the reason why he's in the Hall of Fame is because he was a he was a great quarterback who works for NFL Network. And if I if he didn't work for NFL Network, I just i I think that the Hall of Fame should be for no brainer players. And yes, he was great with the greatest show on turf with just unbelievable, immaculate offensive talent, Hall of Famers surrounding him everywhere. But remember, Mark Bolger was even good with that team after Kurt Warner left. And then Kurt Warner wandered the desert, didn't play that well. And then one of the most, he lost his job to a rookie, Eli Manning. And then he did a good job leading the Arizona Cardinals to the Super Bowl. Um, so I give him credit for that. Of course, we all know that he couldn't finish the job there. But anyways, Kurt Warner, big time Ben hater. He interviewed Ben at the beginning of camp. And um, basically told Ben, hey, you know, we've got this. Will you want you? You know, every single year. He said this to Ben's face. You know, the Steelers Nation has been wondering for the past few years, pretty much at the end of every season, they wonder, is Ben gonna retire? Or they're not gonna retire. And then you usually decide at the very end that you're gonna come back. That is patently false. So he, one time he did the retirement thing. Was it obnoxious? It was totally obnoxious. Come on. Was it because he wanted to get Todd Haley out of town? Yes, it was to get Todd Haley out of town. Did Todd Haley immediately get fired from the next job he got at without even making it through a full season with the Cleveland Browns because he can't get along with people? Yes, he did get fired. And the offense did improve when Todd Haley was gone. So all I'm trying to say is that it, it, this national media thing is so annoying. And if Kurt Warner, if you want to like make accusations like that, I'm just confused. Do you know... The facts, do you know that Ben only did that one time, the retirement thing one time, and you're just choosing to ignore that and make up facts like he's been saying he doesn't know if he'll retire every year? Because, by the way, the last two years, he said right after the last game ended that I will be back. When they lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars, he said, in the locker room, I'll be back next year. So either Warner's lying or he doesn't do his research, and then I don't know why you're paying a guy that much to do your job if you don't do your research. So, yeah. NFL Network's doing their best job. To well, make not plays. to
1: extrapolate too much of what, what's going on during training camp, but it was it is interesting mm-hmm. to see what the lineups are coming out of the gate, starting with the wide receivers. And they're using a right. lot of four wide to open up. We're seeing a lot of that. Um, maybe not surprised. But, so they mm-hmm. have Moncrief and uh, Washington outside, and mm-hmm. Juju's still playing the slot.
2: That's what they started with, so the, and, and that's kind of the point. It's like there's a bunch of different configurations. There's no reason to read into any of it right now in the first few days of practice unless – uh, except for from the angle that you can see that the offensive coaching staff is down to experiment with this. Juju, you know, we all talk about him as the number one receiver because that's what he is, but people forget – He's actually a slot receiver. I mean, he looks like an outside guy. He's played outside a bit. He's going to play outside a lot more now that he's going to be the number one guy. But he's one of the premier receivers in this new wave of the quote-unquote big slot position because he's six feet tall. He's a big guy. He looks like an outside guy. But – he has made his living off the slot. He's played the vast, vast majority of the Steeler snaps in the slot for the past few years. So they're not just going to bump him outside and, and leave him there. They are open to having him in that position. They're going to want to be able to put him there as well. So the first day, I believe, they opened up practice with Washington and Moncrief on the outside and Juju in the middle at the slot. And then the second day, they came out and opened up with Juju and Moncrief on the outside and Eli Rogers in the slot, which I found interesting to be over Switzer. But like we said, it's just the first two days. But, you know, I've made some tweets about this recently. The Steelers receiving room, I – I think this is the deepest I can ever remember it. Obviously, when you had the Young Money crew, when you had Mike Wallace and a young Antonio Brown and Emmanuel Sanders and some other guys on that team, that was a deep room. But this is a room uh, – this is like a – there are so many guys who are available um, and, and who are going to be competing. And I think that what they're going to do in this post-Antonio Brown era is find different configurations to, from where to line these guys up and that's what they've done for the f- first few days of practice.
1: And if you look on the uh, from the linebackers it has been Vince Williams, Mark Barron and Devin Bush. So rotating in and out depending on what the yes, what so the packages. Yes, they them
2: around too. Yeah, so inside linebackers of course. We know uh, the outside linebackers TJ Watt actually hasn't practiced yet. He experienced some hamstring tightness. Um, on basically the, the the training tests on the first day of camp and so mike tomlin they placed, placed him on the pup which uh physically unable to perform list which you and i are a little bit confused about we can get into that in a second but all i can say is that mike tomlin basically downplayed it says it's not a big deal tj watt should be off of that list relatively soon i real i completely agree with my, what mike tomlin has decided to keep tj watt uh, out we are counting On him being a star this year and around the NFL, and the information and the teams are starting to catch up with this a little bit. There are tons of injuries within the first seven to 10 days of training camp because no matter what you do to be in shape over the offseason, and these guys are in shape, but when you're talking about workout warriors, it, it doesn't get more in shape than these NFL players, but it's still different from being on the field and reacting in real time and cutting and changing your mind in the middle of a cut and making contact with people, your body just, it it takes a little while to acclimate to that. So you actually see a ton of ACL tears and a ton of big injuries within the first 10 days of training camp. So Mike Tallman, I think he's doing a good job of holding TJ Watt out. And then he also monitors the snaps for some of the older guys like Ben and Cam Hayward. Um, And so I think that's a good idea when you're easing people into it. But back to the main point, you're talking about the inside linebacker rotation. You got Williams, Barron, and Devin Bush, who's obviously going to have to play some catch-up on learning the defense. But we all expect him to be a starter. And it looks like they are doing the same thing with them, like what they're doing with the receivers. They're trying to see what does Bush look like with Barron? What does Vince Williams look like with Bush? What about Barron and Williams? Okay, what about if we put bush in on the dime package so they're trying anything and everything we're only a couple days into practice but it is cool to see them working in all three of those guys and i think that they will let the cream rise to the crop there i don't think that they have i think they have a preference you know probably for bush to start and then for the other two guys to work it out Um, but they're gonna let that work itself out in training camp
1: Speaking of training camp, this is coming from a total layman. I I find it amazing they can get ready for an NFL season in this few number of practices. What do they have, 20, 19, 20 practices before before the first preseason game? Not only have to get acclimated, get in shape, but they've learned 7,000 plays. And I I understand some guys have been around a long time. I'm I'm just curious to how much that playbook changes from year to year and how much a playbook can change because my guess is – All this stuff has been done before. It may be different combinations of uh, motion, different different packages on the field. So that would be nice for us to find it. An ex-NFL coach who's not too far out of the NFL to explain to us how you learn 700 plays in 20 days. And practice them. And practice them.
2: And it might be especially difficult for a team like the Steelers where you've had the quarterback in place for uh, over a decade and a half and you've had the head coach in place and the offensive coordinator has been there for a long time. Yes, Randy Feetner wasn't the play caller until last year, but he's been around for for a long time, almost a decade or a decade or whatever it is. And so they've been building that playbook. It builds on itself. You hear about that with Tom Brady. That's why the Patriots have this insane offense. They've seen everything under the sun and they have – checks on checks and they have a playbook for plays that beat two high safeties and they have playbooks for power run game and everything so I I agree with you you wonder for somebody like a Deontay Johnson or a Dante Moncrief who luckily has played he played with Andrew Luck and uh, Bruce Arians I believe Uh, it's not Bruce Arians I mean at least in the post Bruce Arians era in um Indianapolis. So he has played with some high-flying passing offenses and stuff, but the Steelers don't just have a playbook that is a couple years old. They've been evolving this thing for, you know, a decade plus. So I agree. You wonder how long it takes these guys to get up to speed, and that probably speaks to some of the success we've seen recently from— some of those young receivers, like with Juju and Martavis Bryant, they both broke out around game six or game eight, and you got to think that, okay, well, their physical talent was the same in in games one, two, three, four, et cetera, but it must have taken them that long to really get up to speed with their responsibilities on the offensive yeah, and that's side
1: probably fast when you When you listen to these guys in their second year, how they talk about how the game is slowed down and they're not playing with their heads cut off yeah it, it just must be mind boggling trying to it's sort of to me. It's like learning a foreign language, which, by the way, I have not yet accomplished. It seems like you're constantly translating in your head instead of reacting.
2: Well, we we got to blame my mom and your wife for us not knowing foreign languages because her first language is Spanish, yet I'm sitting here and all I can do is really order a taco in Houston. And actually, maybe we need, no offense, maybe we need to blame you because if maybe if you spoke Spanish, then it would have been happening at both levels, but... I don't know. We don't need to blame anybody. I, Let's
1: blame I do maybe. know what Gordo Gringo stands for. That's when they talk about me behind my back. Yeah, I do pick good. up yeah. on that.
2: No, fuerte Gringo. That's El Guapo. El Guapo Gringo.
1: So, uh, right.
2: But, yeah, so you'll see some of that. There's, but Deont- speaking of Deontay Johnson, though, you know, the third-round uh, rookie wide receiver that the Steelers picked up this year, he's made some good plays. And I think that – okay, so when we talked about him getting drafted – Uh, I I apologize to you guys listening about all the Antonio Brown references, but it's hard not to see it with a guy like Deontay Johnson. He has so much of the skill set as an Antonio Brown. He played at a smaller school and, you know, he's a shifty guy who is very nuanced in his route running and he's a great punt returner, kick returner. Sound familiar, right? Right. Also he had a poor combine just like Antonio Brown had. He ran a slow 40 and stuff like that. And so that's why we thought Deontay Johnson slipped a little bit on the draft board besides being from a smaller school. But apparently, according to Ben Rothsberger and everybody else, he has shown up in insane shape when it, now that training camp has started. And I think he had a quote the other day saying, and I think it was Alex Cazora who posted this, Saying They're like, oh, I can run all day. And apparently that's what it's been. Ben Roethlisberger said after the initial training test on the first day, he said, I don't even think Deontay Johnson was breathing (laughs) when he finished the rest of it. He just, it was casual for him. So that's good to hear from a guy like that. And I can't help but get excited uh, about someone like that because you've seen Emmanuel Sanders, Antonio Brown, even Eli Rogers uh, to an extent, and even Ryan Switzer to a lesser extent, have success as those uh, short kind of shifty guys in the Steelers' offense with Ben Roethlisberger. And Johnson seems to have a little bit higher of an upside than a few of those guys, maybe since, you know, like the Sanders days. But that's encouraging to know that, hey, if you you got to learn the playbook, but handle what you can handle first, and that's your conditioning. And it's very tough when you are preparing for the combine and you have to do a bunch of, like, non-football exercises. You have to practice cone drills and 40s and stuff like that. And you never get a real break and your, your body never gets a chance to recover. So that's probably another reason why you see like a big uptick in performance in the second year. Not only do they know what's needed from them from a physical standpoint, but they also get a little bit more time to You know, prepare.
1: that's a good point because it seems amazing that anybody would have to tell a, a rookie to be in shape and ready for camp. And it can't be for lack of trying. I'm, I'm sure these guys are, are working their tails off. Yeah. But to your point, and I've heard this before, when they're getting ready for, for combines, somehow that inhibits their ability to get in shape. But there, it's been a long time since the combine. You think all they have to do between then and now is run wind sprints in 85-degree weather in Miami to be ready for this thing. But, but I mean, there, there's a commonality, in and it takes a while for these guys to upshift and um, – Anyway, it's interesting to imagine that these guys who are in superior shape of the point oh oh one percent of athletes in the country uh struggle a little bit and have to get used to training camp.
2: Yeah. It is, but it's good to see that, hey, they can control the things they can control. Deontay Johnson was able to take some time after those rookie mini camps and OTAs to get himself into the shape that he wanted to be in, and now he's really showing off something that he has that veteran players aren't going to be able to emulate. He's got that young man athleticism and uh, some a uh, higher draft pedigree than some of these other receivers that the Steelers have. So it's good to see he's at least uh, doing well in a lot of the one-on-one drills and stuff like that, but we're still at the very beginning of training camp here. And, um, you know, you can't draw any too too many, too many sweeping conclusions. But it's good to see. No,
1: and one big battle I'm watching, backup quarterback. Apparently, uh, Josh has been single-handedly responsible for the defense winning the uh, seven shots the first two days. I think the offense won today just overthrowing guys in interceptions. He's got four interceptions. Two, I think, were on him and a couple were tipped. And then Mason comes in, and he's not exactly—he's uh, he, been—he's been a little better, they say, but he's not exactly sharp, and you don't want him in there. But it's always kind of fun to watch up how that backup position shapes up.
2: Listen, I, I, I just feel bad whenever talking about Josh Dobbs because he's the, one of the most likable people you could ever. Have on a football team. He's such a good guy. He's a rocket scientist. He's you know everything you like in in an adult man. But I I I hated that pick when they made it, and ever since he's been on the team, he's only backed up everything that I've thought. He is one of those guys who falls into the category of more athlete than quarterback. He's more of a football player than a quarterback. He's more Tim Tebow, Blake Bortles. By the way, guys, you remember when the Steelers were playing Blake Bortles in the playoffs? the thing we were worried about is his running. Like, Blake Bortles can run pretty well. He's not Russell Wilson, but he can run down the field, just like Josh Dobbs. And those are the examples of guys who I think it's like, listen, you can throw better than, you know, 99% of the people on the planet, but you can't, you can throw throw better than 1% of the quarterbacks in the NFL. You're just not a professional thrower of the football. You're in college you can get by on that athleticism and that size and like okay, you could throw pretty well. So you can throw to college receivers who are more open than the NFL guys, but when it comes time to be basically a scientist of throwing the pigskin, which is what you need to be in the NFL, I just I don't think you can teach that at a certain level. You have it or you don't. And Josh Dobbs does not have that. And I was shocked when they made him the backup last year. I vehemently disagreed with it. Feel like I was proven right with that Oakland Raiders game where he was beyond inept. You know, he had that one pass against, I guess it was like the Ravens when we were backed up on the two-yard line and and Ben had to go out for two plays and he completed that like 23-yarder to juju. And that almost changed the opinion on the guy for the whole season. People also got excited about him last preseason because his numbers looked good. But if you watched the games in those preseason, every touchdown pass he had was a horrible underthrow that James Washington made a Randy Moss-like catch on. So you that's why stats are nothing without context. If you watch the game, you're like, okay, yeah, you had a touchdown pass, but it was a bad throw. And so he just makes me nervous as a, as, as a backup quarterback. The Mason Rudolph pick, you know, he's a guy that I could think could be a good quarterback. He has a higher pedigree. He throws the ball better. But, again, I thought it was a bit of a pointless pick. I'm under the opinion that you don't. when you have a Ben Roethlisberger, you don't try and pick his successor four years before it happens. The Aaron Rodgers thing, people say, oh, they did it with Aaron Rodgers. Okay, name another team who did it. It, it doesn't happen like that. I guess, you know, Garoppolo could have been that guy, maybe Steve Young. But overall, the better thing is to just pick the guy when it, when it comes time to be done because these dudes are coming in as rookies and they're playing well. You don't need to groom a guy for four years. If anything, that puts you in a bad situation contractually, right? So the battle between those guys, it's, again, it's only two or three days in, but Josh Jobs has been miserable. And if you're miserable when you don't even have pads on, Like, come on, man, this is year three. So he's been throwing picks left and right. Mason Rudolph has been a little bit better. I will be interested to see that battle play out over the course of the season. But Mason Rudolph got drafted in the third round last year. If you don't win the backup quarterback job, there's a huge problem. So I fully expect him to win that job.
1: So somebody needs to explain to me why I need to watch every Mike Tomlin interview. And just imagine him standing up there. He always looks like he's standing on railroad tracks with a train coming right at him, his eyes just wide open, ready to field a question. And he'll go through, generally, he'll talk about injuries and then he'll say questions. And I, worse, worse than Mike Tomlin. And by the way, we've agreed, say nothing. It doesn't help you to say anything interesting. It doesn't help you to be boring. Just check that contractual obligation to move on. But I think that they've, whipsawed the reporters into asking non, almost non-questions. For instance, can you tell us what Ramon means to the offense? When he went down last year on the first day, did you think it was going to be a longer-term thing than it turned out to be? No. Second question, given the turnovers, <laughs> what kind of practices do you see out there to set the tone for that? I didn't that? Just that. And then the last question before I had to turn it off, do you like the heat when the pads go on? I like the heat. So I, th- that's, oh man, I think man. this is like the Stockholm syndrome. They know they're not going to get anything, so they these aren't even softball questions. They're embarrassing. There's no insight, not even a – I guess if they ask a question that's too provocative, they'll be banned. And they have the
2: – Yeah, you might not answer their yeah. question anymore. OK, so this is kind of putting you on the spot, but I, I do think that there is some some room for maybe some more creative – creative questions and and can you think of anything off the top of your head that you'd like to know more about maybe it's more scheme based like okay this is totally off the top of my head so maybe i'll regret saying this but you know what are you i guess this wouldn't work either Uh, like the first thing i thought of for some reason is like hey you know ben roethlisberger and the offense have struggled a little bit against the two high teams over the years so for anybody out there wondering um, you know, too high is like too high safeties, which is what the Bengals have played against Ben for years now. Which, and basically the point of that is we are not going to let you throw deep passes, which is the Ben Roethlisberger game. It's like we're going to, you know, he's done a good job of taking what the defense gets them. But at the end of the day, Ben Roethlisberger is going downtown. And what the Ravens and the Bengals traditionally do is force Ben to take uh, the underneath stuff all game long. Like we're not going to give you anything. Deep, can you be patient enough to take all those under uh, underneath throws? Is is maybe that like a question you ask him? What schematic things are you thinking about doing to respond to to too high? But then again, he's not going to tell you the answer to that. He he needs to keep that a secret for when he plays the Ravens and the Bengals, and and he can also answer it very generally, like, well, we need to perform better against too high. So I don't know if there are any better. questions I have you can three ask. questions.
1: I'll ask him. One, I'm going to go back to something we talked about before. How does the playbook evolve? Do plays change? This pattern, what do you change every year? And is it a reaction to the personnel you think you're going to have or the opponents you're going to have? Or doesn't it really change that much year to year? Question number two Where do you keep your Super Bowl ring?
2: That's a good one.
1: Question, question number three Can you just walk into any store and just pick out any Steelers swag you want? Or is there like a warehouse you can go to and do you wear the same thing twice? And how do you choose what you're going to wear day to day from your Steelers swag cachet?
2: Okay, we're half joking here. But honestly, the point of these interviews is to create content and people will watch that. So maybe you do just ask him non-football related questions, really, and, and just see what they can do with it. I mean, not all of them, obviously, but so much of it. Is pointless, like asking them strategy. Like, dude, he's not going to tell you their strategy for the game. Do you? I don't want him to tell you the strategy for the game. So maybe you do ask him things outside of football. So I think one thing, and I think that there's a larger point we can make about Mike Tomlin, who got a one-year extension, by the way. We didn't even mention that in the podcast. I'm sure you guys have heard that. But he got a one-year extension. Um, it's a little – they haven't given us the details yet. But the assumption is it's an extension through 2021. We know that for sure which is where Ben's contract runs through him. And the assumption is there's an option to keep him on for 2022 20, if they want. But going back, I just think Mike Tomlin is underappreciated from the press conference standpoint because like you and I said, you, you as a fan, you shouldn't want him to tell you anything too in-depth. That will hurt you. All that does is hurt your team. That's stuff that the other teams can use. It's on TV. The other people can hear it, so you really can't say that much. But... I appreciate Mike Tomlin usually saying nothing in an interesting way with those Tomlinisms and that use of language and just just a good texture to his voice and you know a good delivery so we'll take that but after he signed the extension you know we know a lot of Steelers nation is angry at Tomlin and and I think we need to address this because as usual when you're talking about issues people are pretty pretty binary on this it's ones and zeros it's either or either he's doing a good job or he's a bad job there's a gray area right so does mike tomlin deserve criticism for his coaching job over the past few years 100 yes he's had insane talent he had one of the best skill position groups that the nfl has ever seen with ben roethlisberger the number who's you know one of the best quarterbacks in the league You had the number one running back in the league with Bell, the number one receiver, one of the you know a guy who you could argue for the number one receiver of all time for a stretch there, and and then behind him it's Martavis Bryant who's a superstar, you know Juju Smiths. You had people all an elite offensive line, so much talent, and you just couldn't build a defense for a decade. To compliment those guys and you've underachieved in the playoffs the ways that you lose you lose in the same way all the time right you lose to these sub 500 teams hell they lose to sub 300 teams constantly and so he deserves criticism for a lot of that but they've done a ton of good as well over the last 10 years and over the last five years the number one winning team in football surprise surprise is the new england patriots the number two winning team is the pittsburgh steelers And then after that, it is the Packers and then another team I can't remember and then the Seahawks. So you're looking at that like, well, the Steelers, they should have won more Super Bowls. If you look at all the teams on the list of the most winning teams over the past 10 years, it's the Pats with, you know, 14 Super Bowls in 10 years or whatever they have. And then the Steelers, the Packers and the Seahawks and and whatever the other team is, I think it's like the Broncos or something. And they all have one Super Bowl or one Super Bowl appearance. It's like, okay, so the Steelers are doing a good job. Mike Tomlin's delivered on the field. If you look at the coaches, in my mind, you have Bill Belichick and then everybody else. And then you have Andy Reid, Harbaugh for the Ravens. You have Pete Carroll for the Seahawks. And you have Mike Tomlin and Sean Payton for the Saints. And those guys are all about even. So when people get angry about Mike Tomlin... And, oh, he's doing a terrible job. I'm like, he's not doing a perfect job, but who are you going to get to replace him? Is there's this? Are there all these guys out there that you people are looking at that we're not seeing, who you're going to plug in, who's just going to do so much better than him? I'll plug Sean Payton. Well, Sean Payton hasn't even won more games than Mike Tomlin. Are you watching or not? So I get why people are frustrated. You should be frustrated, but it's not as simple as, oh, he, he did this poorly. He should be out.
1: I agree with you. And who are you going to get that's better? Right. I I wonder if they they hung on to um, offensive coordinator from Todd Haley too long. I didn't. It feels Todd, like every very, year we were talking about the 40 point per game offense and it never materialized. And uh, maybe I'm giving the def, I'm right. giving the defensive pass because they they were horrible and I just sort of. I gave them a pass when they presumably didn't have enough talent, but you know, clearly we, we were hard on Butler as well. So did he hang on to offensive coordinators yeah. too long? But at the end of the day, what are you going to get? That's better. Who isn't, who is not subject to criticism. So I, I agree with you. I I'm not ready to switch from Mike Tomlin. It's fine. He puts us in a, as you would say, he's, he puts us and, in a position to be in the playoffs. I think that thing to Jacksonville a couple of years ago, that that, that, I don't know if that was game scheming. Some, some player let down.
2: It was scheming and player because if you look at the first part of that game, all that Jacksonville did. I mean, Jacksonville, it was a historically preschool offense. I mean, they only had four plays. It was... It was power right, power left, dive right, dive left, and then play action (laughs) fullback out on the right and left. And they were throwing to fullbacks with nobody within 40 yards of them. So that really does scream coaching and schematic uh, difficulties. But you do give him a little bit of pass there because people forget how big of a deal the Ryan Shazier injury was. Ryan Shazier was was turning into the modern Troy Polamalu for the Steelers, and everything revolved around him. And if you remember when we watched the Steelers – when Troy would get injured for a few games every year, the defense would fall apart. And maybe that's not a good model, but listen, the talent is so well dispersed in the NFL that sometimes that's what puts you above these other teams. When you have a Ben Roethlisberger on offense, when you have a Troy Palmolo on defense, or an Ed Reed, or a Ryan Shazier, and then when they lost him, they were scrambling and they couldn't quite get it together. But at the same time, he's the one who's drafting these defensive players, what's like seven or eight or nine in a row in the in. You know, first-round players have been defensive guys, and he hasn't gotten the job done there for sure. But I'm also not saying, like – I know people might get mad at the thought of, oh, there's nothing better out there. So we'll just stick with this guy even though he's not that great. He is good. He's done a good job. He has faults. If you want to go – and we won't do this, but we could. If we could go through – maybe we will do this. Okay, Pete Carroll. he can- <laughs> The players all want to leave after four years of playing for him. Andy Reid has won one playoff game in 20 years. Sean Payton, half the time he's a coach, they have a bottom three defense in the entire league. John Harbaugh can't create an offense to save his life. So all these, Sean McVay got absolutely embarrassed, not only in the Super Bowl, but basically in the whole second half of the last year. So if you want to talk about that, Kyle Shanahan hasn't had a winning season yet. So like it's hard in the NFL. And I just think – I just wanted to bring up the Mike Tomlin stuff because the contract stuff happened and people are talking about it. Do I think that he's immune to to, to criticism? Absolutely not. But it's just a more complicated situation than that. And I I do sort of feel at this point like him and Ben are attached at the hip. Him, Ben, this offensive line and this core team that they have – you got to ride with this and see what they got for the next few years. We will criticize him when he does a bad job, which he has done, which we pointed out, you know, five minutes ago when I started this rant, you know, twenty minutes ago, however long it was. But I mean, it's just not. So, so we'll continue
1: to monitor uh, camp. You'll, you'll be tweeting. We're following some of the guys that are on the ground there. I wanted to move on to something else in the news in the NFL this past week, and that is Tyreek Hill. The decision was made by the NFL not to suspend him, ostensibly because. He did not get a – they did not charge him. He wasn't criminally charged.
2: Right, for domestic abuse or child abuse or whatever it was. So we actually meant to talk about this last week. I can't – this never happens to us. I have no idea uh, how we forgot to put this into our conversation last week because obviously this Tyreek Hill information came out before our last podcast, and we wanted to talk about that. So here's the issue with the Tyreek Hill thing. We're trying to figure out what's going on here because Tyreek Hill has a long history of misbehavior and just frankly – I don't know. I don't, I don't want to get too hardcore with it, but he – there's video of him in college of of basically – punching and, and, and manhandling his pregnant girlfriend at the time, who's now his wife, Crystal Espinal, He admitted at the time to strangling that pregnant girlfriend, but this was all in college before he got to the NFL, so the NFL can't punish you for something you didn't do while you were employed by them. So all that happened is his draft stop uh, slipped a little bit, and, and then Kansas City picked him up because Kansas City is the new Cincinnati Pankles, and then like, picking up these convict guys. But anyways... So, Tyree Kill, uh, his three-year-old son has a broken arm, and no one can figure out where it's come from. And there was audio—if if you guys haven't heard yet, uh, this is pretty old news at this point—but uh, tapped audio where there's a conversation between Tyree Kill and Crystal Espinal, his wife, the same girlfriend he choked in in college. And there's video evidence of, of the violence he committed against her while she's like pregnant belly and everything like that. And there's audio between them, and she says, you know, your son, he is—he doesn't respect you. He's terrified of you. And Tyree Kill responds, you should be terrified of me too, B-I-T-C-H, what he says right there, right there. So that's already some pretty damning, uh, I wouldn't call it evidence, but you can see some of the writing on the wall there. In addition to that. Child Protective Services took the child away from the couple, and we don't know the exact circumstances around that, but it takes a lot for Child Protective Services to take a child away from a family. They really don't want to do that. It's a last measure. So they, um, you know, in a criminal court, they conducted an investigation against Tyree Kill to see if he broke his child's arm and... They were unable to come up with conclusive evidence in that despite all these other kind of smoking guns that we've seen with you know, the phone call conversation and his past behavior and everything like that. So he did not get criminally convicted of anything, and then the NFL decided not to suspend him for a single game after all of this, which to me is just bizarre because the NFL has a, 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 an incredibly recent history – especially after Ray Rice, of suspending guys even when they don't get criminally convicted. So the biggest one is this. Jeron Reed or Jaron Reed, whatever his name is, he's a defensive lineman for the Seattle Seahawks. Tyree Kill, they announced two Fridays ago that he was not going to be suspended for this. That Monday, so three days later, they announced that Jaron Reed, for the Seattle Seahawks, is getting a six-game suspension for uh, a a potential domestic abuse case that he caught where he did not get convicted again. So, you know, if I'm even taking the morality aspect of this aside, you know, when you look at Tyreek Hill, there's there's a, there's a, there's a smoke and fire kind of correlation with him because he, he doesn't just have one or two incidents. He has so many incidents. He has it on video. We have it on audio, some of the stuff that he's done. But either way, he didn't get convicted, okay? And if the NFL's policy was, A, if they don't get convicted in a court of law, we can't do anything to them. I completely understand that. But then they go and suspend this defensive tackle for the Seattle Seahawks who didn't get convicted for the same type of crime for six games. Last year... They suspended Raven's cornerback Jimmy Smith for threatening his girlfriend with violence. he didn 't get convicted, and again, you guys remember i 'm I'm, I'm taking the morality aside from this. This all sounds despicable what, what these people are either uh, found to be doing or suspected of being uh, of doing. we can 't make any judgments you know until you, you, you know if they 've done it or not, but, but long story short. Uh, Jimmy Smith did not get convicted of domestic violence, but this NFL suspended him because he had threatened his girlfriend, which we have audio of Tyreek Hill doing. And they suspended Jimmy Smith for four games. They suspended Ezekiel Elliott last year for domestic uh, abuse that he did not get convicted for. They suspended Tom Brady for four games, which was awesome. Although he came back for the Steelers game, that's up. But... Actually, it was the year before when he was able to play the Steelers game. The suspension got delayed a year. But they suspended Tom Brady four games for allegedly deflating the footballs, uh, which we all think he did, but they never found conclusive evidence that he actually did it. But they still suspended him. So all I'm trying to say here is this seems like a du- – take the morality side. It seems like a double standard. These guys haven't get, got convicted, but they got suspended. Tyree Hill – seems to have a lot uh, more going against him than these other people got going against them. And he didn't get suspended for a single game. And the only reason why I can think that they didn't suspend him is because it's the NFL's hundredth season right now. And Mike, and to to his credit, Mike Florio has talked about this on pro football talk a lot. He makes a great point here, but I was thinking this regardless. This is their hundredth season. Patrick Mahomes is the biggest thing to hit the NFL in a long time. He is a superstar NFL legend in the making, you know, two years into his career, one year into his starting career. And the Kansas City Chiefs are a huge draw on national television, a legendary offense already. And this Tyree Kill is probably the fastest guy the NFL has ever seen. And if he doesn't play for the Kansas City Chiefs, in my opinion, and I've said this all offseason, if Hill doesn't play, I don't think the Chiefs even make the postseason because they have a terrible defense. And they already lost two of their other best offensive playmakers without Hill. So if they didn't have that, they'd be in Aaron Rodgers' land where Aaron Rodgers has been for the past few years trying to carry a team without a lot of talent. And I think that they don't want to deal with all – the, the moments on television where they're going to have to talk about Tyreek Hill's suspension and, oh, why is he suspended for four games? Oh, it's another domestic abuse against the NFL, which has caused their ratings to go down. Or when he comes back from the four-game suspension, well, he was suspended for four games because of this domestic abuse because they have a ton of primetime games, the Kansas City Chiefs. Instead, it's better he just plays from the beginning. We don't even talk about it.
1: Well, you make a good point. I mean, I'm not sure – first of all, let me clarify something. It's not that he wasn't convicted. He wasn't even charged. I mean, Jaron Darren, Darren Reed wasn't even charged. So we didn't even get to the point where they were – yes. The defense tackle so for the Seahawks? When you talk about convictions, that that is right. a much higher bar. They're They're suspending guys who weren't even charged. So – you know the thing about the hundred season. Yeah, okay, but right, they don't suspend. They don't want Ezekiel Elliott on the sideline either. Why? Why do you? Uh, so it's.
2: But they did last year.
1: They did. I'm so so. so but they, they suspended for the same Ezekiel. reason they want Tyreek Hill on the field. They want Ezekiel Elliott on the field. Yet they suspended Ezekiel Elliott. They're sort of shooting themselves in the foot if they're looking for. Right. You know, I guess looking for ratings, and you're sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, some people are turning it off because the NFL right. is condoning these, uh, you know, these guys who commit domestic violence. And I don't know should should they be in that business? Right. Yeah, they're in the entertainment business because they do turn people off. Did people turn off the NFL because they're suspending guys? I doubt it. I mean, is the game is the game diluted a bit? Or is it is it no, lesser they don't. quality? Uh, yeah, and some teams maybe lose a few games. And by the way, we're not talking about a ton of games. The 6 games is the the highest number of games I've heard of in all these these violations. Have you heard of more than that? That's the that's the longest suspension?
2: No, and he usually gets I don't know if he's going to He's gonna not going to protest
1: it. But look, so it's yeah. interesting that he's not going to protest cuz nobody's been suspended for 6 games that I can remember other than, you know, you get these um sort of drug
2: I think Zeke did last six, year. Anyway.
1: I can't so uh what what's your bet that uh, Tyreek will commit yet another problem have another incident in the uh
2: Oh Oh, I'm, I'm, put, I'm putting the house on it. I mean, this guy, he, there's literally no consequences to his actions, but I'm going to bet on that. Hopefully they put it up on my bookie, and I'm sorry, my bookie. Uh, you might not want to get into that game, but you can bet on Tyree Kills' under on fantasy points because you can bet he's going to have a hell of a lot of them, but I'm not going to do that on principle. I'll bet on Juju's fantasy points, and I'll do that on my bookie because it's hard to believe, but football is back, baby. The NFL preseason kicks off with the Hall of Fame game on August 1st, and soon we'll have regular season NFL and college football. That means it's time to make an account at the best online sports book known to mankind. That's right. I'm talking about MyBookie. Sports betting is exploding in popularity. If you want to get in on the action with a trusted company that's been in business for years, MyBookie is the place for you. With an easy, no-hassle mobile site, 24-7 24-7 customer service and bets on every sport and prop imaginable, MyBookie provides a fun, safe betting experience. Maybe you think Ben Roethlisberger is going to throw for 70 touchdowns. You're probably right. Why not make money with your prediction when it comes true? And if you deposit today, MyBookie will give you 50% deposit bonus. So that's right. You put in $100, bucks, they will give you 50 bucks back. If you put in $1,000, they will give you 500 bucks. It's that easy for your first bet. Football weekends are the best, but they're even more thrilling when every touchdown can win you money. So go to mybookie.ag and sign up today with promo code OUTPOST25. And my bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Hey, so
1: the Steelers added four new players to the Steeler Hall of Honor. Now, just go through that pretty quickly. First guy, you uh, do know Larry Brown, do you not?
2: I do tackle and tight end extraordinaire, and uh, I think he started at tight end. Yeah, end he
1: was 10, uh, fourteen, four, 14, 14 seasons, nineteen seventy one to nineteen eighty four. And you're right; after the nineteen seventy five season, he switched from tight end to tackle. He he uh, had five touchdowns in his in his career. But Chuck Noll was asked one time of all the greatest players who contributed in those Super Bowls, who are not in the uh, football Hall, mm-hmm. Hall of Fame, who deserves to be and Knoll without blinking said Larry Brown, one of the most underrated players in, on those teams. And in the course of an offseason, Brown moved from tight end. It became a 246 pound right tackle. And in the uh, Super Bowl against the the Dallas Cowboys, Ed Tutal Jones, Jack Blood, Youngblood never got a sniff at uh, Terry Bradshaw. So pretty prolific player, underrated, doubtful he'll uh, move to the Hall of Fame. but. Uh, an important key in those Super Bowl years.
2: Yeah. Yeah, a victim of the success yeah. of his teammates, really. But the, the, those are some yes, big names that he of showed. Out. Voting,
1: uh, those voting for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Next, Bill Cower, 15 seasons from 1992 to ni- 2006. He was 149, 90, and 1. He is ranked 20th in all time wins and ranked 8th in the number of playoff wins. One Super Bowl victory.
2: Wow. That's a big discrepancy, right? Like you would almost think that he'd be higher than than 20th. But I guess there's a couple of coaches who have had like two stints in the NFL. But eighth in playoff wins, that is – that's significant. I mean, Bill Cow is an easy one. The chin. Best we know chin. that, baby.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I thought – you know, one Super Bowl win, no – and uh, only one other AFC championship. I was a little surprised to go back and see that. I thought we had more. But there was a –
2: was it against the Bronco? I forget, so you know some people are yelling at us right now i mean i, I was really young and and you were getting back into it at that time, but uh, uh I don't remember if it was against John Elway or something like that um but uh yeah, you would think he got further. they had some great teams, but hey, so Hines got Ward,
1: also elected fourteen seasons eighty six touchdowns, and exactly one thousand receptions he had.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, six point eight six
1: miles of receiving yards, or as it translates to twelve thousand yards. He's four time fourteenth all time miles. 6. Yeah. Eight six? I had to do yeah, I, did 86,
2: you said? Oh, yeah, 86 I didn't times that. Or. So That's
1: he's four time fourteenth oh, all time in the number of receptions, twenty-fifth the number of yards, four Pro Bowls, and he was the two thousand five Super Bowl MVP. And if you remember the glorious Antoine Rondup Randall L 43-yard touchdown pass to, uh, to Hines.
2: I told you about this earlier this week. Uh, Chris Sims interviewed Tony Romo at one of those like, Pro-Am golf uh, tournaments this past weekend, and he, ta- he talked to Tony Romo about Tony's ability to call out plays before they happen and predict the plays. And Tony Romo basically explained, like, I'm not trying to predict the plays. I'm just sort of narrating my thought process I mean, the guy's a legendary quarterback. When you come up to the line, you notice things like motions and, oh, this team usually does this when they motion. Or, oh, their tight end is lined up two feet further outside on this formation than he usually is. So this is where they usually go. So Romo's is just narrating that. And I actually rewatched the, uh, the 43-yard touchdown reception that Hines made on the throw from Antoine randall in that Super Bowl. And it's funny, man, because if you guys remember that year, the Steelers ran a trick play every game, if not two. I mean, I think, they, I think they had another touchdown. Antoine had another touchdown pass in the divisional or in the wild card round that year against the Bengals. But they were on the 50-yard line, and John Madden called it all out as it was happening, basically saying before Ben snapped the ball, this is where the Steelers like to do their trick plays. You see Antoine randall L on the field. He's a college quarterback. You remember that was the old thing. Whenever the Steelers were on offense, Big Ben, he can break tackles. Antoine Randall he was a college quarterback. And on defense, you always gotta be aware of where Troy Palomalo is every game for so long. But John Madden basically called it out as as that play was happening. The Steelers like to run trick plays here. If I were the Seahawks, I would be aware of that. Ben pitches it to Willie Parker, who ends it back to Antoine Randall who throws it to the Steelers Hall of Honor member
1: you know there was a there's actually a bigger play in that game than that uh that touchdown pass and that was ike taylor's interception his career sole career interception he got it and finally i have heard this name in my childhood but the fifth member is lb nickel he played 11 seasons from 1947 to 1957 he was in one playoff game in 1947 is his his rookie year he was at he was a defensive end. He actually played both both ways, offense and defense, through almost his entire career. He had uh, he was a three por- three sports star at the University of Cincinnati. Football top scorer on the basketball team and a pitcher on the baseball team. And you know what? Hmm. You know what? Yeah, you know what else was different, different about era. it? He put his education on hold to do what? To go to World War Two and fight communism. Well, whatever. I mean, fascism. We're all I, know, I know, 329 LB career Neal. receptions as a tight end, which Here's? is ranked second in uh, behind Heath Miller. So in a di- in the days when you got paid money to play baseball, Elby was offered a contract to play baseball for the Cincinnati Reds or football for the Steelers for $12 a game. Obviously, he chose football, amazingly enough. So those are the four new entrants into the yeah, well, Steelers on. Hall of Honor, each with their own interesting background. And um, I think that's it for this week. We'll have plenty more next week.
2: I think that's it. We, yeah, and we'll see. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to. Pr- well, we'll see what kind of content we can put out throughout the course of the week because this training camp stuff is is really exciting. And again. A shout-out and a congratulations to the men on the ground over there when you're talking about Tony Serino at Locked On Steelers. You're talking about Alex Cazora does the Steelers Depot stuff and Mark Bali and some of the other guys who are on the ground. I, I know I'm forgetting people, but uh, I don't really, you know, I know a lot of people want to be overly competitive about that. They don't want to talk about, uh, you know, other blogs or other other people who covered the teams, but we're not like that, man. We're We're, you know, all the information you can get is great when it comes to learning about the Steelers. And even if you have the same information, different people have a different way of analyzing it. And we have a different way of analyzing it and presenting it than those guys. And uh, we think that they do great work. And we – I think we got to make that promise right now. I mean, we'll be on the ground next year, right? We're going to be in St. Vincent. We couldn't get the travel arrangements together this year, but we will be there next year and providing that second-by-second second action. And we will be in – in shorts that are way too short and from the seventies. I'm sure you still got them in West Mifflin in the, in the attic somewhere and we will have whistles and they will be taken away by team officials most likely, but we'll be there. But for now, thanks to the guys who are on the ground. Thanks to the Steelers account. Who is, uh, whos who has been tweeting things out and putting things on Instagram so we can follow along with some of this training camp stuff. And we'll try and get some more content ahead of your guys' way because it is football season, baby. And let's just uh, let's pray for that health. And uh, excited to see what Steelers would do. And I'll stop saying... Check to- us out
1: on Instagram at Steelers Outpost. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Leave us a note on the website, SteelersOutpost.com, or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. Go Steelers.
2: Okay, bye.
0: Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shana's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued